Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Mm-hmm, it's David Cox. <laughs> it is. And I'm Josh Matheson. He's in a very sassy mood today. You've got a bit of sass, David, and you've also got a great little alfalfa of hair, which I'm really I know, enjoying. I know, I, 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 because I we, we often record these in the evening after work, and I've literally just come from teaching four to six-year-olds, and that's that's me. That's where that's where I've been tearing. Just tearing, <laughs> tearing. <the hair> out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just in case there's any of the children's parents listening, I don't think there's any chance of that. Um, no, they were. If, if you are, if you are, they were great. It's just a stressful show this term. That's all it is. Right. Don't have enough okay. time to do it. <laughs> what are they doing today? Uh, this year? Uh, so we are doing a play based on the very well-known children's book. Macbeth. Uh, day the crayons. <laughs> <laughs> Macbeth. It's about the day the crayons quit. Oh uh, my god! That and is amazing. It's about a boy called Duncan, and one day he goes, and all of his crayons have gone missing, and then all the crayons, all the crayons in the in the book, they all the crayons write in really crafty letters, and they're very good. Right. But in this one, we've got all the kids coming up to him, going, "Why don't you use me for this?" It's like I want to, I want to paint fire trucks instead of basketballs. I, oh, I'm tired. You use me too much. Oh, I'm. You don't use me very much. Um. So this is this could be a new segment, Dave's children's book of the week. <laughs> Please, well, can I, you just get your children to read the book between them, yes. and we'll just do a special episode. Yeah, I mean, I could illegally record it. Um, yeah, <laughs> is it? Mind you, is it, if it's audio, is that illegal? I, I reckon. Ask the parents. Say, oh, we do. Probably. We do a book club podcast, and we want to do a special. Can we get six of the best kids to just come yeah. and read a page each or whatever? You can't yeah. say that. The best kids. Yeah, the just best the good kids. One. No, your kid is the best. <laughs> your kid's the worst. Get out. <laughs> there's always the, there's always good ones and bad ones, and everybody knows it. Yeah, <laughs> wheat from the chaff from the age of four. I'm really enjoying the idea that the the crayons are writing like death threats to Duncan, and it's just like the red crayon going. It wasn't me, but it's like, but it's written in red, so it had to be him. <laughs> 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 Hadn't thought this through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right anyway we're not here to discuss crayons so we are here to read chapter seven of the mysterious affair at styles mm. so last week we had an inquest at the pub and mm, the pub people came and saw the, the body Starlight arms yeah they, got, they had a good old sesh they had a meat drawer after it there was a quiz <laughs> and then a good old quiz <laughs> book your table oh, for the sweet. inquest next sunday because they will sell out I think the landlord went round with the pint glass and went, right, put a pound in and, and say who you think did it. And whoever <laughs> wins gets the, gets the pint. <laughs> so right, gets the jackpot. The yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly what's happened. So we found out that someone bought strychnine from the chemist. The guy wow. who is the chemist said that it was Alfred and Alfred is denying that, but he cannot provide an alibi for where he was at the time the strychnine was being bought because he ugly so he is kind of <laughs> the net is kind of closing around alfred a little bit and poirot's getting a little bit worried because he seems to have already worked out that alfred didn't do it but scotland yard and the police force have now turned up finally a day later after hearing about the murder and he's obviously worried that someone's going to get arrested charged and sentenced and hanged before we've had a chance to pick or find the real murderer. 
Yeah, well, so it it's a race like against time. evidence, didn't it? Because mm. not only um, not only did Alf- was Alfred seen apparently by the chemist in the shop, even though he's new to the area, so there might be some like, oh, I don't recognize yeah. faces, I don't know. Uh, and then it seemed like he'd, he'd signed the book as well, but then he seemed to want to disprove that by saying that's His not handwriting didn't match. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say any, all of those are qu- quite easy arguments to dispel. You could be like, well, you might just be writing now in a terribly just to kind of get yourself off the hook. Like him not having sure. an alibi is probably the most damning thing or him being unwilling to provide one. Who knows? He might be, playing dumb because he may have been somewhere or be doing something that he shouldn't have been doing or someone so yes <laughs> down at rake's farm yeah exactly yeah. so should we dive in and see if we can find out alfred's sordid little dirty secret i mean oh, judging by geez. that fan art my my bet would be or my lovely thing would be if is if he did a drag act on the other side of town and he was a secret <laughs> Yeah. After the fan it, out of him in a green dress. If you haven't seen it, check out our in- our Twitter Instagram. By the end of the podcast, we need to come up for a drag name for Alfred. Okay. A drag so, name for I Mr. still will concentrate yeah. on what Josh is reading to me, but I'm still gonna be like you're not though, are you? You're just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put I'm gonna go quite early and say Sheila Matimbers. <laughs> or Shiva be a slightly like Yeah, you know, Shiva, um, Shiva Matimbers. Yes, because he wears a, some he wears pirate yeah very good it was it was some exceptional work so shout out to um atomic flag on twitter yes. who did keep them coming keep them coming i loved it, it loved really it. really made a whole afternoon yes it did <laughs> drag wednesday is it's going to be a thing from now on <laughs> right so we dive in yes. yeah let's do it here we go chapter seven poirot pays his debts As we came out of the Stylite's arms, Poirot drew me aside by a gentle pressure of the arm. I understood his object. He was waiting for the Scotland Yard men. In a few moments they emerged, and Poirot at once stepped forward and accosted the shorter of the two. I fear you do not remember me, Inspector Jap. And then Inspector Jap has something to say. Oh, what would Inspector Gadget sound like? <laughs> <laughs> go, go, Gadget skis. <laughs> like speak of it like that. It, it was, was a, bit a little like bit nasally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can we be a son of 1920s cop? No, no, let's speak a little bit quickly. <laughs> ah, yeah. Also, okay, every, every, um, you know, they go, see? So it was the other day. It was you the whole time. It was about behind the bike shed. See? I feel like this little fella came out uh, as a cameo in A Christmas Carol, and I quite liked him, so I'm happy to return to him. Bye, and if it isn't Mr. Poirot, cried the inspector. He turned to the other man. You've heard me speak of Mr. Poirot. It was in 1904, and he and I worked together. The Abercrombie forgery case, you remember? And he was run down in Brussels. Ah, those were the great days, Musia. Then, do you remember Baron Altara? There was a pretty rogue for you. He eluded the clutches of half the police in Europe. But we nailed him in Antwerp. Thank you to Mr. Poirot here. What was the Abercrombie forgery case? Was somebody stealing hoodies from Abercrombie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was the topless guy. Yeah. It looked like the same guy. 
Turned out he'd like tied he up the other model. Phony che- he was giving yeah. phony checks or something. Yeah. <laughs> As these friendly reminiscences were being indulged in, I drew nearer and was introduced to Detective Inspector Jap, who in his turn introduced us both to his companion, Superintendent Summerhay. I need hardly ask you what you are doing here, gentlemen, remarked Poirot. Jap closed one eye knowingly. No, indeed. Pretty clear case, I should say. But Poirot answered gravely. There I differ from you. Hmm? Uh, and then Summerhay chimes in. Oh, OK. So do you remember... Um... Superintendent Summerhay. Oh, uh, what's it? What's it called? Hot Fuzz. The Andy. Yes. Andy and Andy. Yeah. Can we have? Can we? Can Summerhay be an Andy? Is Andy Summerhay? Andy, Andy D- Superintendent Andy Summerhay. Yes. Oh, come," said Summerhay, opening his lips for the first time. Surely the old thing is as clear as daylight. The man's caught red-handed. How he could be such a fool beats me. Do you know what? This actually fits quite well, though, because it would be so, oh, it's always murder, 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 murder in the murder, film murder, as well. Murder, like, murder, literally. Murder. <laughs> but it's literally what he's saying here. He's like, come on, it's just, it's easy. It's this. This is what happened. Yeah. yeah I realised I, I should have been in the pub half an hour ago. He was in the pub half an hour ago, and they did the inquest in the pub. Hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason he turned up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But Jap was looking attentively at Poirot. Hold your fire, Summerhay, he remarked jocularly. Me and Moosia here have met before, and there's no man's judgment I'd sooner take than this. If I'm not greatly mistaken, he's got something up his sleeve. Isn't that so, Moosia? Is him saying, is Moosia a word, or is he trying to say monsieur? <laughs> Monsieur. <laughs> Monsieur. <laughs> oh, I, I thought Moosey was another Hayes first name. Well, I was <laughs> trying, okay, so I was just taking it as like some kind of nickname, but maybe he is trying I to misspell he, I think Monsieur. He's tried, yeah, I think he's trying Monsieur. to say Monsieur because nothing's coming up. That's in, not even in, close. That's not close yeah. enough as the spelling Monsieur. for me to guess that. Monsieur, wouldn't they, if it was like... You know, yeah, um, we've got Del- Monsieur or Monsieur. Yeah, or yeah, it's that, isn't it? Poirot smiled. I have drawn certain conclusions, yes. Hmm? Summerhay was still looking rather sceptical, but Jap continued his scrutiny of Poirot. It's this way, he said. So far, we've only seen the case from the outside. That's where the yards are a disadvantage in a case of this kind, where the murder is only out, so to speak, after the inquest. A lot depends on being on the spot first thing, and that's where Mr. Poirot had the start of us. We shouldn't have been here as soon as this, even, if it hadn't been for the fact that there was a smart doctor on the spot who gave us the tip through the coroner. But you've been on the spot from the first, and you may have picked up some little hints. From the evidence at the inquest, Mr. Inglethorpe murdered his wife, as sure as I stand here. And if anyone but you hinted to the contrary, I'd laugh in his face. I must say I was surprised the jury didn't bring it in willful murder against him right off. I think they would have if it hadn't been for the coroner. He seemed to be holding them back. Perhaps, though, uh, you have a warrant for his arrest in your pocket now, hmm? 
suggested Poirot. A kind of wooden shutter of officialdom came down from Jap's expressive countenance. Perhaps I have, and perhaps I haven't, he remarked dryly. Poirot looked at him thoughtfully. <laughs> I am very anxious, messieurs, that he should not be arrested. Hmm? I dare say, observed Summerhay sarcastically. Jap was regarding Poirot with comical perplexity. Can't you go a little further, Mr. Poirot? A wink's as good as a nod from you. You've been on the spot, and the yard doesn't want to make any mistakes, you know? Poirot nodded gravely. That is exactly what I thought. Hmm? Well, I will tell you this. Hmm? Use your warrant. Arrest Mr. Inglethorpe. But it will bring you no kudos. The case against him will be dismissed at once. Huh? Comme ça! And he snapped his fingers expressively. Oh, very sassy. <laughs> I imagine he kind of went. I don't know what that means. It's really camp. Yeah. It sounds like a French Eurovision song. <laughs> oh, come, sir. Da 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 da. Come, sir. Da da da. Fingers, come, sir. Allons-y, come, sir. Anywho. Mate, that is so weird, weird. We would have got more than nil points with that one. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Jap's face grew grave, though Summerhay gave an incredulous snort. As for me, I was literally dumb with astonishment. I could only conclude that Poirot was mad. Jap had taken out a handkerchief and was gently dabbing his brow. I daren't do it, Mr. Poirot. I'd take your word, but there's others over me who'll be asking what the devil I mean by it. Can't you give me a little more to go on? Poirot reflected a moment. It can be done, hmm? he said at last. I admit I do not wish it. It forces my hand. Huh? I would have preferred to work in the dark just for the present. But what you say is very just. The word of a Belgian policeman whose days past is not enough. Hmm? And Alfred Inglethorpe must not be arrested. Hmm. That I have sworn, as my friend Hastings here knows. See then, my good Jap, you go at once to Styles. Hmm? Well, in about a half hour, we're seeing the coroner and the doctor first. Good. Call for me in passing. The last house in the village. Hmm? I will go with you. At Styles, Mr. Inglethorpe will give you, or if he refuses, as is probable, I will give you such proofs that shall satisfy you that the case against him could not possibly be sustained. Hmm? Is that a bargain? Hmm? That's a bargain, said Jap heartily. And on behalf of Scotland Yard, I'm much obliged to you, though I'm bound to confess that I can at present see the faintest possible loophole in the evidence. But you are always a marvel. So long then, monsieur. <laughs> 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 the two detectives strode away, Summerhay with an incredulous grin on his face. Well, my friend, cried Poirot before I could get in a word. What do you think, hmm? Mon Dieu! I had some warm moments in that court. I did not figure to myself that the man would be so pig-headed as to refuse to say anything at all, 
Hmm? Decidedly, it was the policy of an imbecile. Hmm? Hmm. There are other explanations besides that of imbecility, I remarked. For if the case against him is true, how could he defend himself except by silence? Why, in a thousand ingenious ways, hmm? cried Poirot. See, say that it is I who have committed this murder. I can think of seven most plausible stories, hmm? far more convincing than Mr. Inglethorpe's stony denials. Hmm? I could not help laughing. <laughs> my, my dear Poirot, I am sure you are capable of thinking of 70. But seriously, in spite of what I heard, you say to the detectives, you surely cannot still believe in the possibility of Alfred Inglethorpe's innocence. Why, not now as much as before. Hmm? Nothing has changed. But the evidence is so conclusive. Yes, too conclusive. Hmm? We turned in at the gate of Leastway's cottage and proceeded up the now familiar stairs. Yes, yes, too conclusive, hmm? continued Poirot, almost to himself. Real evidence is usually vague and unsatisfactory. Hmm? It has to be examined, sifted. But here the whole thing is cut and dried. Hmm? No, my friend, this evidence has been very cleverly manufactured, so cleverly that it has defeated its own ends. Hmm? How do you make that out? Because so long as the evidence against him was vague and intangible, it was very hard to disprove. Hmm? But in his Anxiety, the criminal has drawn the net so closely that one cut will set Inglethorpe free. Hmm? I was silent, and in a minute or two, Poirot continued. Let us look at the matter like this. Hmm? Here is a man, let us see, who sets out to poison his wife. Hmm? He has lived by his wits, as the saying goes. Presumably, therefore, he has some wits. Hmm? He's not altogether a fool. Well, how does he set about it? Hmm? He goes boldly to the village chemist and purchases strychnine under his own name with a trumped-up story about a dog which is bound to be proved absurd. Hmm? He does not employ the poison that night. No, he waits until he has had a violent quarrel with her, of which the whole household is cognizant, and which naturally directs their suspicions upon him. Hmm? He prepares no defense, no shadow of an alibi, yet he knows the chemist's assistant must necessarily come forward with the facts. Hmm? Bah! Do not ask me to believe that any man could be so idiotic. Hmm? Only a lunatic who wished to commit suicide by causing himself to be hanged would act so. Hmm? I really hope it's him now. Because <laughs> he's yeah, got what imagine? sort of absolute lunatic, idiotic. Oh my god! Can you imagine? And then he's like, "Can we stand there?" Like, oh, oh, I thought <laughs> I did quite well. My Maybe bad. Agatha Christie invented the first double twist. Yeah, yeah. See, I do not see. I began. Neither do I see. Hmm? I tell you, mon ami, it puzzles me. Me. Hercule Poirot, hmm? 
But if you believe him innocent, how do you explain his buying the strychnine? Very simply, hmm? he did not buy it. But Mace recognized him. I beg your pardon. He saw a man with a black beard like Mr. Inglethorpe's and wearing glasses like Mr. Inglethorpe and dressed in Mr. Inglethorpe's rather noticeable clothes. Hmm? He could not recognize a man whom he had probably only seen in the distance, since, you remember, he himself had only been in the village a fortnight, and Mrs. Inglethorpe dealt principally with coots in Tadminster. Hmm? Then you think, mon ami, do you remember the two points I laid stress upon? Hmm? Leave the first one for a moment. What was the second? The important fact that Alfred Inglethorpe wears peculiar clothes, has a black beard, and uses glasses. I quoted, exactly. Hmm? Now suppose anyone wished to pass himself off as John or Lawrence Cavendish. Would it be easy? Hmm? No, I said thoughtfully. Of course, an actor, but Poirot cut me short ruthlessly. <laughs> and why would it not be easy? Hmm? I will tell you, my friend, because they are both clean-shaven men. To make up successfully as one of these two in broad daylight, it would need an actor of genius and a certain initial facial resemblance. Hmm? But in the case of Alfred Inglethorpe, all this is changed. Hmm? His clothes, his beard, the glasses which hide his eyes, those are the salient points about his personal appearance. Now, what is the first instinct of the criminal? To divert suspicion from himself, is it not so? Hmm? And how can he best do that? Hmm? By throwing it on someone else. Huh. In this instance, there was a man ready to his hand. Everybody was predisposed to believe in Mr. Inglethorpe's guilt. It was a foregone conclusion that he would be suspected, but to make it a sure thing, there must be tangible proof, such as the actual buying of the poison, and that, with a man of the peculiar appearance of Mr. Inglethorpe, was not difficult. Mm. Remember, this young mace had never actually spoken to Mr. Inglethorpe. How should he doubt that the man in his clothes with his beard and his glasses, was not Alfred Inglethorpe. Hmm? It, it may be so, I said, fascinated by Poirot's eloquence. But if that was the case, why does he not say where he was at six o'clock on Monday evening? Ah, why indeed? Hmm? Said Poirot, calming down. If he were arrested, he probably would speak but I do not want it to come to that. Hmm? I must make him see the gravity of his position. There is, of course, something discreditable behind this silence. Hmm? If he did not murder his wife, he is nevertheless a scoundrel and has something of his own to conceal, quite apart from the murder. Hmm? Uh, what can it be? I mused, won over to Poirot's views for the moment, although still retaining a faint conviction that the obvious deduction was the correct one. Can you not guess? said Poirot, smiling. 
No, can you? Oh, yes. I had a little idea some time ago, and it has turned out to be correct. Hmm? Well, you never told me, I said reproachfully. Poirot spread out his hands apologetically. Pardon me, mon ami. You were not precisely sympathique. He turned to me earnestly. Tell me, you see now that he must not be arrested, hmm? Perhaps, I said doubtfully, for I was really quite indifferent to the fate of Alfred Inglethorpe and thought that a good fright might do him no harm. Poirot, who was watching me intently, gave a sigh. Come, my friend, he said, changing the subject. Apart from Mr. Inglethorpe, how did the evidence at the inquest strike you? Hmm? Oh, pretty much what I expected. Did nothing strike you as peculiar about it? Hmm? My thoughts flew to Mary Cavendish, and I hedged. In what way? Well, Mr. Lawrence Cavendish's evidence, for instance. Hmm? I was relieved. He'd be such a terrible detective when he just lets his personal feelings get in the way all the time. Sotted. Yeah, well, he's like relieved that he's basically, you know, not said Mary. He's like, oh, crap, I don't know what I'd do if I found out that Mary was bad. <laughs> it's like, give up detecting now, Hastings. You're not cut out for it. You're way too yeah. involved. He's but not I do... got a motive for perverting the course of justice. <clears throat> yeah. I do find it quite interesting because obviously we were sitting there saying that with norm with these stories, normally you have a suspect who the author tries to push you towards mm -hmm. to kind of make it seem like, oh, they're the guilty. And then, and then it turns out to be somebody else that you didn't suspect. And that's the twist. But what's hilarious here is that Agatha's like completely ripping that apart and basically going like only an idiot believes the first person that everybody thinks it mm. is in terms of like the evidence evidence being too convenient. So it's quite interesting that she's almost destroying her own construction of I want you to currently think that Alfred's guilty, even though we know he probably won't be at the end. I need to like read Homer's again to see if there's that sort of like early like bit of bait as it were yes and then like oh it was the janitor like, yeah um, yeah no i'm not sure because yeah it must, just... be, it must be in, it must be fascinating to like a crime writer's like how am i going to tactically play this book to make it interesting mm, like they must yeah. have to go like you know i've got to sell it's got to be enthralling so what twists and turns can i make um so it's interesting yeah you're right that the first tactic she's gone for is like like big pointing finger and then she's like hey you looked at the finger yeah <laughs> you idiot really <laughs> <laughs> oh lawrence no i don't think so he's always a nervous chap his suggestion that his mother might have been poisoned accidentally by means of the tonic she was taking that did not strike you as strange huh no i can't say it did the doctors ridiculed it, of course, but it was quite a natural suggestion for a layman to make. But Monsieur Lawrence is not a layman. Hmm? You told me yourself that he had started by studying medicine and that he had taken his degree. Hmm? Uh, yes, that's true. I never thought of that. I was rather startled. It is odd. Poirot nodded. From the first, his behaviour has been peculiar. Of all the household, he alone would be likely to recognize the symptoms of strychnine poisoning. 
And yet, we find him the only member of the family to uphold strenuously the theory of death from natural causes. Hmm? If it had been Monsieur John, I could have understood it. He has no technical knowledge and is by nature unimaginative. Hmm? <laughs> but Monsieur Loring... He's very boring. He's, he's very dull. But Mr. Lawrence, no. And now today, he puts forward a suggestion that he himself must have known was ridiculous. There is food for thought in this, mon ami. Hmm? It is very confusing, I agreed. Then there is Mrs. Cavendish, continued Poirot. That's another who is not telling all she knows. What do you make of her attitude? Hmm? I don't know what to make of it. It seems inconceivable that she should be shielding Alfred Inglethorpe. Yet, that is what it looked like. Poirot nodded reflectively. Yes, it is queer. Hmm? One thing is certain. She overheard a good deal more of that private conversation than she was willing to admit. And yet, she is the last person one would accuse of stooping to eavesdrop... Exactly. One thing her evidence has shown me. Hmm? I made a mistake. Dorcas was quite right. The quarrel did take place earlier in the afternoon, about four o'clock, as she said. Hmm? I looked at him curiously. I had never understood his insistence on that point. Yes, a good deal that was peculiar came out today continued Poirot. Dr. Bowerstein. Now, what was he doing up and dressed at that hour in the morning? Hmm? It is astonishing to me that no one commented on the fact. He has insomnia, I believe, I said doubtfully, which is a very good or a very bad explanation, hmm? remarked Poirot. It covers everything and explains nothing. I shall keep my eye on our clever Dr. Bowerstein. Hmm? I'm really excited for what's going to happen. Can you imagine if what they have to end up doing is to get all of the male suspects in the village to dress up like Alfred <laughs> in the beard and the cloak. Do a lineup. Line up. <laughs> and uh, the yeah. wooden hat. And um, yeah, number three, can you say shiver and timber? <laughs> and they find out that the person can't do it. No, it can't be him. He can't do it. His, 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 his pirate acts are terrible. Um, number five, can you walk this plank for me? <laughs> 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 Any more faults to find with the evidence? I inquired satirically. Mon ami, replied Poirot gravely. When you find that people are not telling the truth, look out. Hmm? Now, unless I am much mistaken at the inquest today, only one, at most two persons, were speaking the truth without reservation or subterfuge. Oh, come now, Poirot. I won't cite Lawrence or Mrs. Cavendish, but there's John and Miss Howard. Surely they were speaking the truth. Both of them, my friend. Hmm? One, I grant you, but both? His words gave me an unpleasant shock. Miss Howard's evidence, unimportant as it was, had been given in such a downright straightforward manner that it had never occurred to me to doubt her sincerity. Still, I had a great respect for Poirot's sagacity, 
except on the occasions when he was what I described to myself as foolishly pig-headed. Do you really think so? I asked. Miss Howard had always seemed to me so essentially honest, almost uncomfortably so. Poirot gave me a curious look, which I could not quite fathom. He seemed to speak, and then checked himself. Miss Murdoch, too, I continued. There's nothing untruthful about her. No, but it was strange that she never heard a sound, sleeping next door, whereas Mrs. Cavendish in the other wing of the building distinctly heard the table fall. Hmm? Well, she's young, and she sleeps soundly. Ah, yes, indeed. Hmm? She must be a famous sleeper, that one. <laughs> I did not quite like the tone of his voice, but at that moment a smart knock reached our ears, and looking out of the window, we perceived the two detectives waiting for us below. Poirot seized his hat, gave a ferocious twist to his moustache, and carefully brushing an imaginary speck of dust from his sleeve, motioned me to precede him down the stairs. There we joined the detectives and set out for Styles. I think the appearance of the two Scotland Yard men was rather a shock, especially to John, though of course after the verdict he had realised that it was only a matter of time. Still, the presence of the detectives brought the truth home to him more than anything else could have done. Poirot had conferred with Jap in a low tone on the way up, and it was the latter functionary who requested that the household, with the exception of the servants, should be assembled together in the drawing-room. I realised the significance of this. It was up to Poirot to make his boast good. Personally, I was not sanguine. Poirot might have excellent reasons for his belief in Inglethorpe's innocence, but a man of the type of summer hay would require tangible proofs, and these I doubted if Poirot could supply. Before very long, we had all trooped into the drawing-room, the door of which Jap closed. Poirot politely set chairs for everyone. The Scotland Yard men were the sinecure of all eyes. I think that for the first time we realised that the thing was not a bad dream, but a tangible reality. We had read of such things. Now we ourselves were actors in the drama. Tomorrow the daily papers all over England would blazon out the news in staring headlines. Mysterious tragedy in Essex. Wealthy lady poisoned. There would be pictures of styles, snapshots of the family leaving the inquest. The village photographer had not been idle. All the things that one had read a hundred times, things that happened to other people, not to oneself. And now, in this house, a murder had been committed. In front of us were the detectives in charge of the case. The well-known glib phraseology passed rapidly through my mind in the interval before Poirot opened the proceedings. I think everyone was a little surprised that it should be he and not one of the official detectives who took the initiative. Mesdames et Messieurs, said Poirot, bowing as though he were a celebrity about to deliver a lecture. I have asked you to come here altogether for a certain object. That object, it concerns 
Mr. Alfred Inglethorpe. Hmm? Is that an indication of the times that Agatha was writing when a celebrity would be somebody who delivers lectures? Because when I think celebrity now, I think Towie and the idea of Gemma Collins doing a lecture. <laughs> or, or Katie Price. Or <laughs> yeah, but in these days, people used, to be, people used to be famous for doing things that were pretty impressive. They actually had something to be celebrated for. No, I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's an indication of the times of the fact that celebrities actually did something like intellectual and not just, you know, oh, I'm famous because I got my boobs out or I slept with and that person like, and it was in Heat magazine. Welcome to this uh, lecture on uh, Greek mythology with me, Danny <laughs> Dyer. And me, Danny Dyer. Yeah. <laughs> this donut don't even know who killed the bloody person in the end. <laughs> We're going to find out who done it by getting everyone together in the drawing room. And Gemma Collins goes, no, not for me. And leaves. <laughs> not for me. I don't know enough leave. about this to talk about it. And Harvey's like, what a day. <laughs> Inglethorpe was sitting a little by himself. I think unconsciously everyone had drawn his chair slightly away from him, and he gave a faint start as Poirot pronounced his name. Mr. Inglethorpe, said Poirot, addressing him directly. A very dark shadow is resting on this house. The shadow of murder. Hmm? Inglethorpe shook his head sadly. My poor wife, <laughs> he murmured. Poor Emily, it is terrible. I do not think, monsieur, said Poirot pointedly, that you quite realize how terrible it may be for you. Hmm? And as Inglethorpe did not appear to understand... He added, Mr. Inglethorpe, you are standing in very grave danger. Hmm? The two detectives fidgeted. I saw the official caution. Anything you say will be used in evidence against you actually hovering on Summerhay's lips. Poirot went on. Do you understand now, monsieur? Hmm? No. What do you mean? I mean said Poirot deliberately, that you are suspected of poisoning your wife. Hmm? A little gasp ran round the circle at this plain speaking. Good heavens, cried Inglethorpe, starting up. What a monstrous idea. I poison my dearest Emily. I do not think, Poirot watched him narrowly, that you quite realise the unfavourable nature of your evidence at the inquest. Hmm? Mr. Inglethorpe, knowing what I have now told you, do you still refuse to say where you were at six o'clock on Monday afternoon? Hmm? With a groan, Alfred Inglethorpe sank down again and buried his face in his hands. Poirot approached and stood over him. Speak! he cried menacingly. With an effort, Inglethorpe raised his face from his hands. Then slowly and deliberately, he shook his head. You will not speak, hmm? No, I do not believe that anyone could be so monstrous as to accuse me of what you say. Poirot nodded thoughtfully, like a man whose mind is made up. Swa, he said. Then I must speak for you. Hmm? 
Alfred Inglethorpe sprang up again. You! How can you speak? You do not know! He broke off abruptly. Poirot turned to face us. Madame and Monsieur, I speak. Listen. Hmm? I, Hercule Poirot, affirm that the man who entered the chemist's shop and purchased strychnine at six o'clock on Monday last was not Mr. Inglethorpe, for at six o'clock on that day, Mr. Inglethorpe was escorting Mrs. Rakes back from her home from a neighboring farm. Hmm? I can produce no less than five witnesses to swear to having seen them together, either at six or just after. And as you may know, the Abbey Farm, Mrs. Rick's home, is at least two and a half miles distant from the village. Hmm? There is absolutely no question as to the alibi. Huh? End of chapter. Ooh. He kept everything out. Oh, he his chest, didn't he? And then just went, a secret out. <laughs> a secret I mean, I don't know why Mr. Inglethorpe thought that he could just keep it quiet and to himself. You've got Poirot there. Like, he's going to out you. He he just wants the truth. He doesn't care. You're in a lot of trouble either way. But being unfaithful is slightly, although it's bad, it's slightly not as bad as being accused of murder and being sent to the news. It's so true. Yeah. It's hilarious that he's like, well, I don't believe someone will accuse me of that. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It can still happen just because you shutting your eyes and your ears and going, I don't believe it. Would he it. also still be worried about the inheritance if he'd be like, no, it doesn't, I don't know. If, is, does, it, does, it, if, does it completely nullify it if you've then been unfaithful? But then I don't know. But he must well, have been uh, aware of the rumours that he was a cheating scumbag. So if people were you know, happy to think that of him, then it's not that much yeah. of a far stretch to say you're willing to hurt the poor Emily even worse. Mm. Um, I thought of a drag okay. name, and I'm not sure if yeah. it would be allowed to okay. be in it. Um, and right. that drag name is Captain Hooker. Yes, Duffers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's lovely. Yeah. I think um, Black Pearl would be a good drag name. <gasps> oh well. yeah, wouldn't oh, it? Lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sydney. But like, at least yeah. at least you could like sell tickets for like a sort of cabaret then. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for um, a slightly, slightly French lilt to mine. I think he should be called Jolie Roger Her. <laughs> Roger Her. <laughs> Is it a bit weird? I mean, I know obviously it's different as of the time, but can you imagine now, like them getting get together loads of suspects and having like a lecture? And yeah, like, just revealing all of the info that they have without sort of going into actual like the whole thing. Been, like, so. Alien to us, isn't it? Now, yeah. the way they yeah, conduct like, their affairs. All of your, like, he, he was obviously candid and released it out in a certain way, um, waiting for him to sort of say where he was. But just like mm. the idea of not doing that in the station and only saying it to the people you want to to extract information mm. at the right time. Well, nowadays Scotland Yard would just embargo <clears throat> everything and be like, "Don't, nope, nobody speak. Only speak to people individually." Yeah, yeah. It, there seems to be no kind of like, this is obviously before formal proceedings were kind of written out as like, this is the book and this is how you can conduct an investigation. Sure. There's too many programs like Line of Duty and Unforgotten at the moment that we're like, no, that's not right. Yeah. And like, we think then, we know better just because we make every single thing from TV. Well, nowadays <laughs> it's all CCTV and forensics, isn't it? Yeah. So like you take those two things away and you actually, you've got to be a lot more creative about how you solve yeah. crimes. 
but then yeah agatha was writing at the time that she was writing the book set at her yeah. time so you'd hope that she would know how these cases happened when they happened that's an interesting point actually I'd, i would love to find out at some point this series uh mm. if agatha was ever directly involved in the judicial system yeah so obviously a lot of characters thrown back into the realms of mm-hmm. honesty versus dishonesty. So how do we feel about our prediction status? I'm, I'm feeling quite good because it seems like all three of us are the ones that Poirot has the biggest suspicions about. Lawrence, he was like, he should know better. Mm. Mrs. Cavendish is hiding the truth. Cynthia, could she really sleep through that whole thing when someone heard it on the other side? So all three of us are still in the game. All to play for. We don't want to rule out um, Dr. Jack Bowerstein as well. Do Banana we? Sheen, nope. yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's definitely hiding something because as Poirot kind of rightly pointed out, and we pointed out, like, what was he doing there fully dressed at that time in the morning? He shouldn't have been anywhere near Styles. Yep. So that kind of maybe, I think there's another affair that's going to be uh, announced shortly. Oh, yeah. But if you've got any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or you can tell us some more drag names, perhaps, for Alfred Inglethorpe <laughs> that might be better than ours. And you can do that on Twitter. And our handle is at LazyBookClubPod. Yeah. Yeah. Use the hashtag Drag Wednesdays, because apparently we can add that to <laughs> hashtag LazyTuesdays, Lazy hashtag Drag Wednesdays. We'll come up with something for every day of the week. And that's available on uh, Instagram at LazyBookClubPod. You'll also find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash lazybookclubpod. And for the very small fee of $3 a month, you get an extra episode. And if I edit these a little bit earlier than normal, they go up straight away on Patreon. So as soon as they're edited, they end up on Patreon. So you sometimes get the podcast a little bit earlier, but you also get to watch the video call as well. So you get to see the amazing hand gestures and faces that Josh pulls when he's reading these books. But otherwise, we will see you next week for chapter eight of this mystery. What's the chapter title, Josh? Chapter eight is entitled Fresh Suspicions. Ooh. Ooh. That's Fresh. kind of, yeah, that's definitely helping to develop some intrigue. Because now everyone's kind of going, oh, so it can't be him. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the plot I, thickens, I, as they say. I feel like we're going to get one more person who it's going to be like, oh, it could be them. And then it will be the actual person. We need another, yeah, another red herring. I think we'll be so. Because we've got quite a few chapters left, haven't we? We've got about five chapters or six chapters left. So Something like that. Yeah, We're yeah, only about I, halfway, well, just over that's halfway what I mean. through. The so I feel like so. there needs to be some more suspicion and hopefully some more dirt coming out as well because I'm oh, enjoying the so. dirt now. Yeah, definitely. Well, we will see you next week for Chapter 8. So the last thing to say is, Comsa! On your theme tune. We'll see you next week. Bye. Come, sir.